Hello, fellow rebel capitals. Hope you're well. So we all know the government is running massive deficits, and this is outside of a recession. Right now, they're running wartime deficits. Last time I checked, it was headed close to 10% of GDP. That's just the government deficit. We know that the overall debt is north of $32 trillion. That's up over 10 trillion dollars just since the beginning of the Cervezas sickness. So if you are someone who believes that we'll be going into a recession, which you would assume the deficits will explode higher, this begs the question, how much money will they print? And how is this going to impact consumer price inflation? You can see the thumbnail. Even my buddy Peter Schiff is shocked. <laughs> It's the amount of money that they will print. Well, I'm going to try to answer that question for you as well as I possibly can right now. And understanding that there are no certainties, there are only probabilities. But you guys know how I tackle this problem. It's not just a guessing game. What I try to do first is think through the mechanics of how the system actually works, what has happened in the past, try to predict what we're going to see in 2024. So let's start by doing a screen share and we're going to go right over to M2 Money Supply. We're going to go just during the survey sickness. We're going to check this out. And for those of you who haven't seen the chart, it is staggering. I mean, talking about February 2020, M2 Money Supply. And that's how we're going to measure money printing, by the way. Because in most people's mind, when they think of money printing, what they really care about is how many currency units are in the real economy chasing goods and services. You know, At the end of the day, they don't really care about the Fed's balance sheet because they think that there's a direct correlation or a causal effect between the Fed's balance sheet and M2. But what they're most concerned with is how many currency units are chasing goods and services. So we'll use a proxy for that in M2, or we'll just assume M2 is a proxy for that. Okay. 15 trillion, beginning of 2020. And then it goes straight up to 22 trillion. I guess we get to 21.9. And I, if I get even more accurate there on like a daily chart, we got up to $22 trillion before it started to come down. So an increase of $7 trillion, $7 trillion. <laughs> we started, we started with 15. So just in, and now I'm spreading it out over a couple of years, but if you just look at an annual increase, we had an annual increase of 25%. I mean, those are just jaw-dropping numbers. But now we have to ask why, what, what caused this? Was it just governments spending money? No, 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 no. The governments can spend money without printing money. In other words, the governments can spend like a drunken sailor without impacting M2 money supply. Because what they're spending is simply taxes that are being drawn out of the economy and spent back in. But if it's deficit spending, it's the exact same thing. Now, when the Fed gets involved a little bit different, more on that in just a moment, but setting the Fed aside, when the government deficit spends, they issue bonds. Well, who buys them? Okay, well, let's just assume that it's entities in the real economy so that's going to suck money out of the real economy and spit back in on net balance, no change. All right. Now, if a, not, if a banking entity buys a treasure, a little bit different story, but we'll assume right now it's non-banks just to keep 
everything simple here. So I've read several papers on this regarding this 25% increase in M2 just around 2020, 2021. And the main takeaway is that it's twofold. You had loans, lines of credit growing rapidly because during the Cervasa sickness, all of these businesses and maybe real estate investors, uh, this equity, what have you, they all have these lines of credit. You guys know how a line of credit works. You don't have to pay on it until you start using it, but it's right there at your disposal in case you need some quick cash. So during the Cervasa sickness, everybody thinks the world is coming to an end. So what do they do? I need as much cash as possible. And why would I not borrow as much as I can on this line of credit? Because who knows, who knows if the bank is even going to be there when all is said. Who knows if the bank's going to go bust? That's what I'm trying to say. So you had all these entities draw down their line of credit. Also, if I'm not mistaken, the PPP loans would have been direct extension of credit from the banking system themselves, probably guaranteed by the government, I'm guessing. But um, so you got PPP, most likely, but you definitely have these lines of credit that are being drawn down. Well, if you have a line of credit and you say, bank, I want $100,000 of that line of credit that I have access to, that's $100,000 that did not exist before. All else being equal, if you draw down that $100,000 to now there's an extra $100,000 in your checking account, that would mean M2 money supply goes up for the amount of currency units chasing goods and services by $100,000. That money didn't exist before, okay? So... Another factor that played into this, the two major factors here, are people drawing down their line of credit or an extension of credit by the banking system, which creates more currency units, M2, and the Fed buying treasuries from non-bank entities specifically, okay? Because if a bank buys from a bank, there's no impact on M2. If a bank buys from a non-bank, and that would include the Fed, they're a bank at the end of the day, that's going to increase M2. And then the opposite is also true. If a non-bank buys from a bank, that decreases M2. So the two key components here are the Fed buying from non-banks and a higher issuance of credit. We'll just say people drawing down their line of credit with the bank because they thought the world was coming to an end. So this explains the massive increase in M2. So what we have to do is look at 2024 and ask ourselves, you know, what are the probabilities of this happening again? And then maybe look at other times in history where we could have seen something similar that may be more applicable to what we may see in 2024. Let's use uh, World War II to be more specific. We're going to go through that in just a minute. But before we do, let's look at a pie chart that I used the other day on a couple of videos where we see the who's actually holding these treasuries as of right now. So this blue, navy blue, or darkish blue, represents U.S. non-bank, okay? That's a big deal. Because if the Fed, which is represented by this yellow here, uh, if they're buying this blue, then that's going to likely increase M2, assuming that there's not a net drawdown in credit, which we're going to get to in a moment. But if they're buying from the commercial banks, remember what happens to M2. That's bank to bank. So if it's bank to bank, nothing, nothing. There's literally zero impact on the amount of currency units chasing goods and services. And you say, George, yeah, but it increases their balance sheet capacity. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. At the end of the day, they don't need reserves. They don't, they, they, the banks create their own cash. So regardless of what you are doing or what the Fed is doing, if risk is equal, then the banks are going to loan, buy. They're going to go about their daily business 
regardless of how much cash or bank reserves or whatever liquidity in the system. Okay. So again, main takeaway here, if we're buying from this blue part of the pie chart, no impact on M2, or excuse me, impact on M2. Orange, no impact. And if you're buying from uh, foreigners, how does that impact M2? It doesn't. So the only one that's going to, imp now uh, I'm assuming that they don't have an account here at the, uh, within the United States. Now, if they do, obviously that's going to impact it. But if you've got a Japanese hedge fund, let's say, that is uh, selling treasuries because the yen is plummeting against the dollar, then they're going to want those dollars most likely in their dollar account in Japan. And if it's in their dollar account in Japan, that's outside of the domestic monetary system, therefore no impact on the amount of currency units circulating here in the United States chasing goods and services. In other words, M2. Okay. And, and by the way, just for clarification, this chart is domestic. This does not include anything outside of the United States. So this is what we need to really ask ourselves moving forward into 2024. If you assume there's going to be a recession, you must also assume that the Fed is going to do quantitative easing. Um, I guess there's an argument as to maybe they won't, but I think the probability is high they will, right? Why would they not do what they did in 2008? Why would they not do what they did in 2020? It seems like that's their standard operating procedure right now. So now let's go ahead and go over to, let's see, what should we do next? Let's go back to this chart and let's go up. And this is a chart of M2 money supply growth and inflation. It's very, very important because we're going to go back here to World War II in a second. And then we're going to go ahead and connect all these dots. But one thing I'd like you to think about kind of make a, a little note on the side there, is the housing market, believe it or not. What is happening with the housing market? Well, there's some people that have chosen not to sell when they otherwise would have. Why? Because they're locked in at a 3% interest rate and a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Now, I don't really think that impacts the, the prices. In fact, I think that might be a bearish argument, but we'll set that aside. The bottom line is there are people, lots of people out there that are choosing not to sell their house because if they sold their house and if they wanted to buy another one, then in their minds, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to be able to get the same rate of interest. And they want that super low interest rate. Okay. So let's go back to this pie chart, understanding that kind of psychological phenomenon that we've seen in the housing market. And let's remember that a good majority of this debt that is owned by the non-public has been created in the last, well, since the Cerveza sickness and since the Fed started raising rates. Remember, the overall debt went from $22 trillion, Now it's north of $32 trillion. Now, a lot of that debt was accumulated when before the Fed started raising rates, but a lot of it was afterwards. So what's interesting is you could have the same dynamic right now in the treasury market. So let's assume for a moment that you're a retiree and uh, all of a sudden you've got all these bonds, these 10-year, 30-year treasuries in your portfolio that are yielding 5.5% or 5% or whatever they are. And you, for the last 10 years, 12 years, you haven't been able to get any yield from your bonds. Nothing, nada. And you're someone that is planning on living the rest of your life on a fixed income the amount of income 
that your portfolio is generating. So let's just assume that we fast forward to 2024 and the Fed drops rate, rates come down because of what's happening in the real economy. And all of a sudden, the stuff hits the fan and the Fed's like, ah, we got to go from QT back to QE. Well, if you're that retiree that bought a treasury that's yielding 4.5, 5, 5.5, and now all of a sudden the Fed's dropping rates because stuff hits the fan, are you going to sell that treasury? You're getting 5%. And let's remember the PTSD that you have from your bond portfolio yielding pretty much 0% since since 2008. So now all of a sudden, it's it's the exact same thing with the mortgages, right? You could tell that person that has that three-year, excuse me, uh, 3% 30-year mortgage that, oh, don't worry about it. You can go ahead and sell your house now because in a year or two, the Fed will most likely drop rates again and you'll be able to uh, get that or maybe even a better mortgage rate. They're going to say, hell no, absolutely not. Because in the back of my mind or in the front of my mind, I have this reason. I rates are high, 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 high. I, I don't want to risk what I, I don't want. You know what? It goes back to that psychological phenomenon where people are far more. Uh, the the risk of loss is far more of a driver of uh, human actions or human decision making process than the desire to gain. So the desire to gain. If that's an incentive on a scale of one to 10, let's say is a three or a four, but the desire to make sure you don't lose anything is like a 10 on that same scale. So I think there's a strong argument as to now, of course, some people will sell, obviously, but I think there's a very strong argument how many, many, many non-bank entities will not sell because they want that. They're totally cool with 5%. For the next 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. So then the Fed's going to have, well, they don't really have a choice because they're doing, they're just buying in the open market through the primary dealers. So the primary dealers are buying from anybody that's selling. It's not like the Fed can sit there and say, hey, primary dealers, we're doing quantitative easing and we only want you to buy from non-bank entities or we only want you to buy from foreigners. No, they're just buying from whomever is selling. So I think you could go into a situation where the majority of Entities that are selling to the Fed, even if they're doing QE, are no longer non-banks, but they're banks. In which case, how would that impact M2? It wouldn't. All right. Now, let's shelf that for a moment. Hey, guys. I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with macroeconomics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of -of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So what we want to do is look at another time frame. And uh, this is when... You know, everyone talks about the Federal Reserve doing yield curve control, which is definitely something that people have talked about occurring or happening in 2024. Fed's going to look. 
We're going to run all these deficits. There's going to be so much supply of treasuries that the interest rates are going to skyrocket. And the United States can't afford these higher interest rates. And therefore, the Federal Reserve is going to have to come in just like they did in World War II. And they're going to have to buy all of this U.S. government debt that nobody wants to buy. And that is going to impact M2 money supply, or it could. Right. So let's go ahead and go through that because right here with this chart, we can go back to the 1940s and we see that M2 did grow quite substantially. Uh, right here, uh, that's the depression, excuse me. So especially let's look at right here. We've got 1943, year over year money supply growth, 17.79%, almost 18%, very close to what we saw during the Cervasa sickness. Again, wartime deficits. So then what we want to do is we want to look at the Fed's balance sheet. Now, this is one of the best charts I've ever seen in my life for anything, not just financial. But uh, this is, uh, and by the way, the URL here is investmentoffice.com. And it's observation, market history, visual history of the Federal Reserve System, 1914 to 2009. The top is basically the top and bottom Fed's balance sheet, top assets, bottom liabilities, and on the in the middle we have the date. So over here on the right, if you can see my pointer, we go from 1936 to 1968. So this encompasses the time frame there when the Fed was doing yield curve control, supposedly, for uh, World War II because no one's going to buy all that debt, right? Okay, well, let's look at their the asset side. You can see right here, look at this this blue line, this blue shaded area, by the way, represents the amount of treasuries on their balance sheet. So look at this increase. So it's easy to come to the conclusion right at the bat that the Fed had to buy all of these treasuries, basically from with this shell game with the, the, the banks and whatnot. But basically the Fed is monetizing the debt, right? They're buying directly from the government. At least that's what you would, the conclusion that you would come to by just looking at the asset side of their balance sheet. But now let's look at the liability side. We see that this green shaded area explodes higher, pretty much uh, on par with the amount of treasuries they have. Well, how is this possible? Are they literally printing green pieces of paper to buy the treasuries? No, no. Now they did all the way back in 1862 when we had the Legal Tender Act, when they had to pay for the Civil War, they literally did print green pieces of paper. <laughs> and that's what they used to buy the bombs or the guns or whatever they were buying back. But here, what they're doing is they're buying those weapons or the war material with bonds that they're selling, that the treasuries issuing. So what this tells you is that the increase in treasuries on the Fed's balance sheet was not a result of them buying them from the government, but it was simply a result of bank lending going bananas during this time frame, and the banks were creating all of this additional M2 money supply. And because there was additional M2 money supply, then people had greater demand for hard cold, or cold hard cash. And what happens when the banks need cold hard cash, literally green pieces of paper, they give the Federal Reserve a bank reserve. The Fed sends them a, a Brinks truck with the cash in it. So it's an off, so there's, they decrease their assets, but they give them an asset in the form of these green pieces of paper. And then they give those green pieces of paper to the account holder, which shrinks their assets, which also shrinks their liability. Because those dollars represented a liability on the commercial bank's balance sheet, the dollars that were an asset of that individual that wants the cash instead of 
just having his dollars parked in his checking account at the local bank. So then what happens is the Fed, once they delete that bank reserve to pay for the cash that they're sending the bank that is demanding it through the Brinks truck because they have those customers that want more. Because again, the banks have created more currency units through lending more, right? That was the catalyst. That's what triggered everything. And so they're going to have to replace that bank reserve that they just deleted, they, the Fed. And what they're going to do to replace that bank reserve to keep the Fed funds overnight rate, whatever it is, you know, they're trying to control with these reserves, they're going to have to go out and buy a treasury. So the punchline here is these treasuries on the Fed's balance sheet are, I mean, again, I, 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 I'm not an economist. I'm not a historian. I'm just some idiot on YouTube. I'm barely an amateur. You guys know that I've never taken an econ class. I've never taken a business class, never taken a finance class. I almost flunked out of high school, but I know how the system works <laughs> for the most part. And if the system works the way that we've been told, as far as how the banks get money, this conclusion is, is, is spot on. So what's, what's your point, George? The point is that there was massive, plenty of demand from the private sector, or outside of the Fed, I should say, for the government bonds that they had to issue in order to get the debt to GDP up to 120%, which was prior to uh, the Cerveza sickness, was the all-time high. And why am I referencing this? Because in 2024, I would totally agree, it's very, very likely that the Fed, or excuse me, the federal government is going to have to run wartime deficits, or they will choose to, because of the recession, because the deficits are already so high, and because of what they've done in the past. But my point there is, will the Fed need to come in and buy government debt to keep those interest rates down, or is there going to be enough demand from the real economy outside of the Federal Reserve? And if World War II is a teacher, you know, we don't know for sure, but we've seen in the past where the government can issue massive amounts of debt, and there's still an appetite for those bonds without the Fed's balance sheet. So if it's happened in the past, I don't see why it couldn't happen in the future. And even if the Fed chooses to do QE, which is what we were talking about before, you have to ask yourself, who's the seller? And if the seller is a bank, then there isn't going to be an impact on M2 money supply, which is how most of us would define, quote unquote, money printing. So how much money will they print in 2024? Might be zero. And I think that would come to a shock for everyone on this live stream, uh, including my good buddy, Peter Schiff. But I think if you go through this video and you hear the logic, you listen, look at the charts, you see what I'm talking about. I think that many of you might second guess you know, if they're going to, now they're going to try to print money, but will that impact M2? That's a completely separate story. Now it might, I'm not saying that this is a hundred percent guarantee. I would say that right now for me, it's probably a coin toss, 50-50. But I think that there is a very strong argument as to how whatever they do in 2024 will not increase the amount of currency units that are chasing goods and services. Again, maybe 50-50. But before, if you just look at the deficits, I think most people would come to the conclusion that it was like a 99% chance that it would increase. So again, it's not a prediction. It's more so something that I'd encourage you to think about. Now, does that mean that I don't think there will be inflation as a result of what the central planners will do? No, because you see, I don't really think that we need M2 to go up by that much to have significant consumer price inflation. 
Now, I do believe that we'll get disinflation or even deflation once stuff hits the fan. But when we get outside of that, I don't see why we won't go into the next wave of consumer price inflation, even if M2 is not impacted by the actions of the central planners. Why? Because they're changing velocity. And this is something that we saw during uh, or after the Cerveza sickness. What they're doing, let's just say that they're borrowing money and there is an appetite from the private sector. Okay, they're taking money out of savings. The fact that someone is buying a treasury would imply that they're not using money that they need for rent next month. They're not using money that they're going to go to the store tomorrow to buy groceries for their family. No, they're using money in savings. That money was zero velocity, zero velocity prior to them buying that treasury. And what Janet Yellen is going to do is take that zero velocity money that's part of M2 and then she's going to spend it back into the economy, let's say through stimmy checks, that are going to go into someone's checking account where they most likely will spend the money. So you see, you're taking zero, and although there's no net difference in M2 or the amount of currency units chasing goods and services, you're taking low velocity money or even zero velocity and you're turning it into high velocity. So therefore, velocity increases. Additionally, I think that whatever the government will do will distort the economy dramatically, which means fewer goods and services. Fewer goods and services with an equal amount of money supply, if velocity stays the same or increases, will likely give you higher consumer prices, even if it's over the short run. You know, and they'll, the, the argument that would be, well, if they're not increasing the money supply, then at some point, the prices have to stop going up. Right, but they hit a higher plateau just like we've seen over the last couple years. So main takeaway here is that my forecast for deflation, disinflation, inflation, it has not changed. But I think that there is a very good argument, although for me it's a coin toss, as to if M2 will actually increase, call it money printing, as a result of quantitative easing or the deficits that they, were, that they will most likely run, the huge deficits, they'll most likely run as a result of the stuff hitting the fan, the hard landing in 2024. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market to capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.